Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Today's Bible reading can be found on page 2002 of the Church Bible. Mark chapter 1 verses 1 to 11, page 1002. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It was written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. You might find it useful to uh, take a Bible and to turn uh, with me to Mark chapter 1, page 1002, and the reading that uh, Sharam read for us just earlier in the service. I think it'd be wrong of us, uh, even though this isn't the main subject of uh, the sermon, to not to mention the uh, brutal attack and murder of drummer Lee Rigby in Woolwich this week. It has uh, shocked and outraged the nation. Uh, There is, of course, much that could be said about the incident. Uh, Our prayers and thoughts should surely be with the victim's family. Uh, I mention it because it needs to be mentioned, uh, because we can't simply come here and pretend it didn't happen. It did. Uh, But all the time, whenever I'm looking at the news, I'm thinking, what does the Bible have to say about this? What what, what as Christians, how do we respond to this? And on this Trinity Sunday, as we conclude this short series on the Trinity, I think that incident tells us that our view of God will shape our actions. Now, that's a fairly big statement. Following a, a God who is cruel and vindictive, we will become cruel and vindictive. If we follow the God of materialism, we will become self-centered and grasping. You could 
do it yourself when you get home. If you follow that kind of God, I'm going to become like that kind of thing that I follow. On the other hand, as we grasp who our God is, what he's like, as we're caught up into the glorious life of the loving Trinitarian God that we've been thinking about over these last weeks, we simply can't be people of hatred and revenge. Now look, having uh, raised the events of this week, I want to acknowledge that many Muslim leaders in this country have denounced the actions of the alleged perpetrators of that shocking attack. I also acknowledge that history, and I'm thinking especially of the Crusades, history is littered with appalling acts of violence carried out in the name of God. But the point still stands. Knowing the character of God will, or at least should, shape our actions. And that is why understanding our God as Trinity matters. Uh, Indeed, in these last weeks, as we've thought about the Trinity, I don't know what impact it's had on you. I have the great privilege of studying this at home before I come and preach it. I have found my thoughts and desires have been affected. I have wanted to live differently as I've thought about uh, our God and what he's really like. And that, of course, is my hope for all of us as we've studied the Trinity over these last weeks and again this morning. So to that end, let me now uh, pray for us that that would be the case. We thank you, our Lord and God, uh, that you have wonderfully revealed yourself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you that as we uh, think, have been thinking on uh, you, your character, who you are, your nature, uh, we have seen the most wonderful and glorious God. And we pray that as we think again this morning uh, on you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Uh, that we may be changed and transformed, that we would want to become more like you, loving and giving and longing, not only to be caught up in the life that is the Trinity, uh, but to be helping others to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, with Mark chapter one in front of us, here we see the Trinity together. Uh, I wonder if you noticed it as uh, Sharam was reading. We see how, uh, also how Father, Son and Holy Spirit begin to relate to one another. Uh, In verse 1, Mark begins by declaring that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then, uh, to be sure that we're in no doubt about the identity of Jesus, Mark shows us that Jesus is none other than God himself. I wonder if you see how he does that. Look at verse 2. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. There is the, the Old Testament prophecy. A voice in the desert preparing the way for do you see it there in crucially in verse 3 preparing the way for the lord preparing the way for god himself that's what the old testament prophesied mark is saying there's the prophecy and there then we read verse 4 john came baptizing crucially in the desert so john is the voice in the desert from verse 3 And he prepared the way for Jesus. And therefore, says Mark, Jesus is the Lord of verse 3. Jesus is God. But as we think about the Trinity this morning, it's what happens next that is most crucial. The next thing we read further down is of Jesus being baptised by John. And verse 10, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, 
with you I'm well pleased. So there we have it, Jesus, God the Son, with God the Spirit descending upon him and God the Father speaking from heaven and saying to Jesus, you are my son whom I love. The three persons of the Trinity present at Jesus' baptism. It's very clear, but cognitively challenging. We, we don't believe in three gods. Christians believe, and we've already declared this uh, in the creed, we believe that there is one God in three persons. But because we find that so hard to get our minds around, we end up scrabbling around for illustrations to help us to explain the Trinity. None of those illustrations are helpful. Have you noticed that? If you've been around uh, Christian things for a while, you've probably heard people say that the Trinity is like H2O or like a three-leaf clover. Or I even heard this morning, uh, this, this week, like an egg. Strange way to describe God. Now look, if you've never heard these illustrations and you don't have a clue what I'm alluding to, good. Uh, because all of these illustrations are frankly hopeless. As is the illustration that I hear most often, it goes like this. I am a father and I am a son and I am a brother. To my children, I'm a father. To my parents, I'm a son. To my brother, I'm a brother. And that illustrates the Trinity, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. That is the heresy of modalism, if you want the theological word for it. Modalism is the belief that God is one person who adopts three different roles. Sometimes he acts as the father, sometimes he acts as the son, sometimes he takes on the role of the spirit. That's not what we believe at all. We believe that God is three persons. One God, three persons, not one person who takes on three roles. And of course, as you look at the Bible, you see how utterly ridiculous that idea of modalism is. Look again at Mark chapter 1, verse 11. The father spoke to the son. Later in Mark's gospel, Jesus prays. He speaks to his father. So if I believe that God took on different roles, sometimes father, sometimes son, sometimes spirit, then at the point where I read that the father speaks to the son, it would be like me standing here and have a conversation with myself. Hello, Paul, how are you doing today? Oh, very well, thanks very much. Thanks for asking. I've had a good weekend, and you? Yeah, lovely weekend. I'm glad the uh, weather's improved, particularly because I was taking a wedding yesterday. Oh, weddings, I like weddings. Did the bride have a nice time? Yes, she looked beautiful, thanks very much. It's ridiculous, isn't it, having a conversation with yourself? It is sometimes very appealing. At least you get a response when you talk to yourself, which I, <laughs> I don't always get when I talk to my children. And talking to yourself, you always win the argument. And at times we do say that uh, talking to ourselves is the only way you'd get a decent conversation around here, but it is utterly ridiculous. And if you are in the habit of doing it, let me know afterwards and we might be able to find someone to help you. (laughs) But the point is this, modalism and every attempt to illustrate the Trinity like H2O, a three-leaf clover or an egg is hopeless and unhelpful. On the other hand, what is very helpful is to see that God has revealed himself as Trinity and then to see how the persons of the Trinity relate to one another. That is very helpful because it tells me glorious things about God and those things are life-changing. They should transform the way I live. So just look again at verse 11. Uh, The voice from heaven said, you are my son, speaking to Jesus, you are my son whom I love with you, I'm well pleased. Now note this. Each time the father's voice is heard in the gospel, he declares his love for his son. It's here at the baptism. Uh, We hear the the father's voice again in Mark chapter 9 at uh, what we call the transfiguration. And each time we hear the voice from heaven, we hear the same words. This is my son 
whom I love. I talk to my brother on the telephone a couple of times a week. I spoke to him yesterday. Uh, Whenever I talk to him, without fail, he speaks of his little girl, who's nearly two now. You can't have a conversation with my brother without him mentioning his daughter, what she's up to, what she's said, how she's developing, what she's done that's made them laugh. He doesn't stop talking about her because he loves her. He's so bowled over by her. Now, that's what we see in, here in the relationship between the father and the son, except it's more specific. Every time the father speaks in the gospel, he doesn't just talk about the son. He declares, this is my son whom I love. He, he can't, almost can't talk of the son without saying he loves him. The father loves the son, and that's what he declares every time he speaks audibly from heaven. Now that is a a glimpse into the life of the Trinity, of the loving relationship enjoyed by Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It's a glimpse into the fact that love is at the very heart of God, that God is love, which is where we began, uh, if you remember, four weeks ago. God is love. It doesn't just mean that God has the capacity to love or even the desire to love or the urge to love or even that he loves. He is love. Love In and of himself he is love and he loves within himself. It isn't just that he became love, he is love. Now, understanding this uh, about the Trinity, C.S. Lewis wrote uh, in uh, this book, Mere Christianity. He says, if Christia- in Christianity God is not a static thing, but a dynamic pulsating activity a life almost a kind of drama almost if you will not think me irreverent a kind of dance now I love that thought that picture because it tells us that before the creation of the world before anything else existed God wasn't static sitting on his throne on his own lonely and wondering what to do next no he was interacting with himself Father, Son and Spirit, each loving the other, focusing their attention on the other, adoring and serving the other, glorifying the other. And so Tim Keller writes uh, in in this book, uh, uh, King's Cross, he writes these words. Because the Father, Son and Spirit are giving glorifying love to, to one another, God is infinitely, profoundly happy. Think about this. If you find someone, somebody you adore, someone for whom you would do anything, and you discover that this person feels the same way about you, does that feel good? It's sublime. That's what God has been enjoying for all eternity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are pouring love and joy and adoration into the other, each one serving the other. They are infinitely seeking one another's glory. And so God is infinitely happy. Now, that is the nature of God. But what does that matter? We're just doing a bit of theology here, stretching our minds a bit, thinking about God, the sort of thing you should do at church on a Sunday. Well, I guess we are doing a bit of that, but we're doing so much more than that. Understanding this, understanding the very nature of God changes everything. As we said earlier, our understanding of the character of God changes the way we live, or at least it should But here's the thing, this tells me what life is about. Now, people are always asking me, I don't know what life's about. I say they're always asking me, it's regularly when I speak to people, they say to me, I want to know what life's about, what's the meaning of life? 
This tells me what life is about and not only where I'll find the meaning of life but how I should live my life. Now we see that at the very beginning of Mark's gospel as well. See, as we read these uh, opening verses, we're meant to see very definite connections with the very beginning of the Bible. Now look, most of us here are not steeped in the scriptures, so uh, this may not have crossed our minds uh, as it might have done and should have done for the Jewish readers of this. But you see, for the spirit to be pictured here as a dove is very, very significant. In Jewish sacred writings, there is only one place where the spirit of God is likened to a dove, and that is in the Aramaic translation of the scriptures in Genesis chapter one. Of course, in Genesis chapter one, we're taken back to the very beginning uh, of time, to the before the world began. And uh, there's no need to turn it up, but in Genesis chapter one, verse two, we read that the spirit hovered over the waters. The Hebrew word actually means fluttered. And then to capture this, the Aramaic translation of the second verse of Genesis goes like this. The earth was without form and empty and darkness was on the deep of the earth and the spirit of God fluttered above the face of the waters like a dove and God spoke. And so as we read Mark chapter one and verse 10 and we hear that the spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, we're being reminded of the creation of the world and Genesis chapter one. And once we make that connection, we, we see that in the first three verses of Genesis chapter one, we read, in the beginning was God, the father, that the spirit of God was hovering like a dove over the waters. And then throughout the chapter, we read that God spoke, God's word was there creating the world. And lo and behold, the same three parties who were present at the creation of the world are present at Jesus' baptism. The Father, who is the voice, the Spirit fluttering like a dove, and the Son, who is the Word of God. And here's the point, in case I've lost you in that little bit of theology. Just as the Trinity was fully involved in the creation of the world, so here at the beginning of Mark's Gospel, the same triune God is present in his work of redemption, and recreation. And that matters because it tells us what both creation and redemption is all about. Or with all the theological language out of the way, it tells us what life is about. And when I understand this, I understand how I should live my life. See, it is what we've seen over these last weeks. God the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoy a perfect loving relationship within himself. And that perfect love within the Trinity is other person focused, each member of the Trinity looking out for the other, serving the other, loving the other, but it doesn't stop there. Because God in his very nature is a giving God, he wants to give to others. He wants others to share in the love and life that he enjoys within himself. That is why he made the world. That is why he made you and me, so that we would share in the wonderful life and blessing that he enjoys he wants us to know that love too. How kind of God to create us. He didn't need to create us. We said that way back four weeks ago. He didn't need to, but how kind of him to create us. How kind of him to give us life and to give us so many good things in life. Life is good, isn't it? The things that God gives us are good. All the S's, summer and sun and skiing and sport and sun and sand and spouses and Sunday lunch and 
It's quite fun doing that. Just think of all the S's over Sunday lunch. All the other good S's. I thought of another one. I thought I'd better not mention that from the pulpit. Anyway, that's put it in your mind. There are, these are all good things our gracious God has given to us. But here's the thing that demonstrates just how much God loves us. We've turned away from that God. We've happily taken and enjoyed all the good things he gives us and cut him out of the equation. Which incidentally is why we don't know what life's all about. Why we don't enjoy life to the full. It's why we die, because turning from the source of life, we will die. But here's the most amazing thing. We turn away from our God, but because God is so loving and wants us to enjoy life and blessing, even though we've turned away from him, he went to great lengths to redeem us and to bring us back and to recreate us, to bring us back into relationship with him. That's what we're being told here at the beginning of Mark's gospel. That's the link between Genesis chapter one and Mark chapter one. I was made to be in this relationship with God, but I'm no longer in it. And so God goes to great lengths to bring me back into relationship with him. And the great lengths he went to, we see on the cross. See, that's what life is all about. It's about knowing God, which is a brilliant thing. Because knowing him is where life is found in all its fullness. And as I look at the Trinity and I know that life in God is the most wonderful thing that I can have. And so in short, understanding this is why evangelism is not just one aspect of the Christian life. It is a crucial part of what I'm to be about because it's what God's about. Uh, in his book uh, on the Trinity, The Good God, Mike Reeves uh, writes, writes these words. When we go out and share the knowledge of God's great love, we reflect something very profound about who God is. For when Jesus sends us, he is allowing us to share the missional, generous, outgoing shape of God's own life. And do you see the point? A God is a giving God who wants everyone to enjoy him. That's why he made us. And so as we're involved in the mission of God to bring everyone to know him, we are sharing in that outgoing shape of the life of the loving God. What's more, uh, we tell people the good news of Jesus Christ, our family and friends and neighbours and colleagues, because we want them to come to know what life is all about, to discover this God, to discover the very reason they were made. That is the mission that God is on. That is the mission that you and I should be on with him to bring men and women and boys and girls back to him that they may enjoy the love and life and blessing of being with him. That they may be caught up in this life, in the dance as C.S. Lewis called it. Caught up in this dynamic pulsating life of love. Now Tim Keller explains this brilliantly uh, and explains what a difference uh, this makes understanding the Trinity. And this is a long quote, but I just couldn't put it in my own words and uh, any better uh, than it is here. Uh, I think this is fantastic, so stay with me. Using this image of the dance, Tim Keller writes this. A self-centered life is a stationary life. It's static, not dynamic. A self-centered person wants to be the center around which everything else orbits. I might help people, I might have friends, I might fall in love. As long as there's no compromise of my individual interests or whatever meets my needs. 
I might even give to the poor as long as it makes me feel good about myself and doesn't hinder my lifestyle too much. Self-centeredness makes everything else a means to an end. And that end, that non-negotiable, is whatever I want and whatever I like. My interests over theirs. I'll have fun with people. I'll talk with people. But in the end, everything orbits around me. If everyone is saying, no, you orbit around me, what happens? Picture five people or ten people, a hundred people on a stage together and every one of them wants to be the centre. They'll all just stand there and say to the others, you move around me. And no one gets anywhere. The dance becomes hazardous, if not impossible. The Trinity is utterly different. Instead of self-centeredness, the Father, the Son and the Spirit are characterised in their essence by mutually self-giving love. No person in the Trinity insists that the others revolve around him. Rather, each of them voluntarily circles and orbits around the others. If this is ultimate reality, if this is what the God who made the universe is like, then this truth bristles and explodes with life-shaping, glorious implications for us. If this world was made by a triune God, relationships of love are what life is is really all about it's long but it's good isn't it and I love that last line if this world was made by a triune God relationships of love are what life is really all about here's where we see what a difference it makes to know God who is Trinity here in Mark chapter 1 the triune God is acting working to bring us into the dance To recreate us so that we know that life is all about relationships. Relationship with God and relationship with one another. Which is why, of course, later on in Mark's Gospel, Jesus summarised God's law like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. Because God is love, that's what life is all about. Loving relationships, loving God and loving others. Now, of course, I do need to understand what, life, what love is. God's love is not spineless and insipid. Because God is love, he does punish evil and he does care about injustice. He's not indifferent about murderous acts. He cares about the, the sort of thing we saw on the streets of Woolwich this week. Real love is strong and it does act against evil. But then we know that instinctively, don't we? As I've said before from this pulpit, if something terrible happened to one of my children while they were on their way to school, if someone took them away and did monstrous things to them, and if you then said to me, I'm sorry to hear about your loss, and I were to reply, well, these things happen, then quite rightly you would question whether I really loved my children. Real love does demand justice. Real love is strong and does stand against evil. So don't think that to talk about God being a God of love leaves us with a weak and insipid God. Look at Jesus, the perfect revelation of God, and you'll see what God is like. Jesus stood against injustice. He stood up against the corrupt leaders of his day. He spoke against the hypocrisy that he encountered. He confronted evil. And he was the most loving man who ever lived. Now, love is strong. God's love is But the point is this, when we know this God, the one true God, the God who is Trinity, we will be profoundly changed, changed to be like him. And because God is the God who is love, 
The God who at his very core is in relationship, who puts others first, who gives himself to others. And we see that supremely at the cross. Because God is like that, so as Tim Keller says, if this world was made by a triune God, relationships of love are what life is really all about. And so do you see, when I'm caught up into that life, when I'm caught up into the life of the the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, my life has to be changed. And that's why understanding the Trinity matters. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you very much that while we can't begin to understand God because we're uh, finite people, while we can't begin to understand God, you have revealed yourself to us and given us wonderful truths that we can understand. We thank you very much for showing us uh, how glorious it is that you are in perfect relationship with yourself. And we thank you that as we get caught up into that life, as we get brought into relationship with you, it does change the way we live before you and others. And we'd ask you please that in these last few weeks as we've just had a little look, a little consideration of what it means that you are Father, Son and Holy Spirit, uh, that we uh, may be changed and transformed in our living. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.